Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Stefan Cohn. And I'm Andrea Ballard. Every week we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand in hand with baking for those we love. On today's show, yes, it's finally here, National Pie Month. We're cramming February full of delicious pies. And first up is the pie that took top honors in the amateur category at the Pie Council of America's 2016 Bake Off. We'll also discuss making the perfect crust because the perfect filling is only half the battle. So grab a cup of coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Well, it's February, Stefan. Are you thinking about Valentine's Day yet? Oh, it's always so sweet. And, you know, um, my daughter is in middle school now. And so I am spared the one half of the expense of, you know, um, getting Valentine's for all the classmates. Oh, and they don't do that? That whole rigmarole. It doesn't seem like oh. it. But my son still will. And so we, we are currently debating the, you know, make it or buy it Valentine debate uh-huh. that goes on. Uh-huh. Well, last year was a buy it, and I usually I usually try to if they want I try to to uh, every other year is okay with me to to get creative. Oh yeah, but. yeah. In fact, that's reminding me. Last year, my daughter got very creative. She came up with something that was a you know the thumbs up on Facebook, the like. Um, yeah, she did the icon. Yeah, she did something uh-huh. with that, and I can't remember it now off the top of my head. But it involved like designing a sticker, and then finding Avery labels and printing. And um, I'm I'd be okay this year if she just went with the store bought <laughs> option. I know because right, like here's a dum dum. Happy Valentine's. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Have some sweeties or what are they? No Smarties. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. Smarties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some sweet tarts. Yeah. You know, um, I'd be okay with that. But I do think that. We have recently reviewed a couple of recipes that would be perfect for Valentine's Day. So I just wanted to mention those. Um, First up, happy people fudge. Okay, we talked about this back at Christmas time, but I think that many people think of Valentine's Day and they think of chocolate, and this would be a perfect and easy and foolproof recipe to pull out for Valentine's Day. Absolutely. And And just a quick note there, too. I'm not sure I posted this on Facebook, I think, but I made a variation over Christmas that had pretzels instead of nuts. So if you have people in your life who don't like to or don't choose to eat nuts but still want that crunch in fudge, that worked really well. Oh, good, good. Yeah, there are endless variations with that recipe. I mean, I think you could, you know, again, if you had someone who was gluten-free and you didn't want to use pretzels or you could find gluten-free pretzels or you could, you know, take some sort of gluten-free um, graham cracker or something and and crush it up and put it in there. So there's lots of choices for that particular totally. recipe. Yeah. Um, our spicy chipotle chili bark, uh, which we modified into more of a ganache, that one would be beautiful for Valentine's Day and, again, has the chocolate component. So I can recommend that one. And then finally, um, what we raved about last episode 12.5, uh, our flummery. 
Oh, we February flummery. February. What else can we say? Yeah, (laughs) it's it's raspberry. It's beautiful. It's pink. It's also a little bit lighter. And you know, if you're going to do maybe kind of a fancy Valentine's Day dinner, um, and you don't want to, you know, throw a big dessert on top of it, I think that would be a nice option. Or if you just did a plain fudge uh, with no nuts and just had it by the side of your flummery, you know, raspberries and chocolate, that would be a great combination too. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, And you could cut the fudge smaller. You don't have to cut it in, you know, two inch cubes or that sort of thing. Yeah. Great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Well, Andrea, um, I know that we're both fans of Gretchen Rubin. And for listeners out there who may not be familiar with Gretchen, she wrote a book several years ago called The Happiness Project and has kind of turned that book um, into her industry now. And it's really about making the most of kind of everyday joyful things you can do to improve your quality of life. And they're all very simple actions you can take. And one of one of Gretchen's tenants that has stayed with me is that people overestimate the time it will take them to do something um, unpleasant mm-hmm. and underestimate the time it will take them to do something um, that they would would enjoy. Okay. And I'm not sure if you've heard recently, there's this 1980s time management um, philosophy kind of making the rounds again, and it's called the Pomodoro, which is why I bring it up, kind of food related. Um, it was it was created in the in the 80s, and um, the man who did it um, called it the Pomodoro because he used a little kitchen timer that was in the shape of a tomato. And what you do is you concentrate on one task for 25 minutes, and then you take a 10 minute break, and the end of that cycle is called you've completed a Pomodoro. <laughs> And it's kind of silly, but I've been using it for the last week or so, and I find it really refreshing. It, um, I consider myself to be a really organized person, but like most of us, I can get distracted by, you know, an email bings or, you know, there's a phone call, this or that or the other. And so just saying, you know, for the next 25 minutes, I'm going to do this task and I'm not doing anything else. And soon my break comes up and I can reassess and then I'll start something new. It's been really, really great. So that was kind of a a New Year's resolution non-baking for me. And I highly recommend it. Um, There's not much more to it than what I've explained, but I'm sure you can find tons of information on the Pomodoro method out there on the internet. I love, I had not heard about that. I love hearing that. Upon listening to you explain it, I'm realizing that I, unbeknownst to myself, do the Pomodoro Pomodoro naturally because um, I drink so much coffee and water all day that I usually <laughs> work for 30 minutes and then go to the bathroom. So, oh, nice. <laughs> built in. Let's come up with a different title for yours, though. <laughs> That's my built in break. But I do, nice. um, I have used an app on my computer and my phone called Howl, and it's just a timer. I don't know why I couldn't just use a regular timer, but you set it for a particular amount of time and then it starts howling, and I like that sound, you know, that wolf howl. So it's kind of funny too. Yeah, so it, it's it, just yeah. kind of silly. Mm-hmm. And um, I have noticed that when I, I don't tend to use that for just regular life, but if there's times where I really need to focus and get something done, I always think to myself, okay, I'm going to sit here for the next three hours and bang this out. And then and I can't do that. So I'll set that for 30 minutes and then do a 10-minute break and 30 minutes and do a 10-minute break. And I found that that works really well for me too. Yeah. And the other thing I've noticed is how much I can get done in my 10-minute break. Yeah. You think, oh, what can I possibly get done in 10 minutes? Well, y- you can get done a lot. Like I could sweep my kitchen floor and tidy up the the laundry room and, you yeah. know, and, and then it's time to go do something else. So um, 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's what Gretchen was talking about when she says we either underestimate or overestimate. But um, having a concrete timeline to work within, I've really loved it. So oh, that's my Pomodoro. I love that. I'm going to see if I can use that in February. So I will report back. Let's shift over and um, start talking about our National Pie Month, February. Oh, National Pie Month. <laughs> finally finally here. It's yes. finally here. So um, for our first pie recipe, we picked the amateur winner from the 2016 Pie Council of America Bake Off, with the idea being that um, if there was an amateur competition as home bakers, we certainly would put ourselves in that category. And if this was the winning pie, then it beat out. I went and looked over. I think there were 267 entries. So... It was the winner out of all of these pies. And the name of it is really interesting. It's called Totally Biscoff Pie. So when I sent this to you, Stefan, I'm curious, had you ever heard of Biscoff when I told you about this recipe? I had no idea what you were telling me. And so, <laughs> um, but to back up just one moment, um, I would love, um, if there's any listeners from the Pie Council of America, yes, where's your address and how can I send you my resume? Uh, yeah, I would love to be um, involved with you. Um, yeah. yeah, I had no idea. And after looking at the recipe, I understood a bit more what Biscoff was. And so for listeners out there who, who may not know, it's a Dutch ginger cookie. Mm -hmm. And I think um, traditionally they come in a windmill shape. Oh, but this is okay. kind of a mass market. Um, I mean, it's it's... It's not like a graham cracker. It's better than that. It's definitely more flavorful uh, because, of course, I have ordered my supplies and, and dug into them. Um, yeah. I am right. an expert, I mean, expert on Biscoff now. So curious. But yeah, so this pie uses the Biscoff cookies for crumbs. And then you use something called cookie butter mm -hmm. in both the filling and the topping. Now, Andrea... We have not gone down this slippery slope yet. Um, no, and I would like to take this moment to record my objection. Um, I want this on the record. I, I feel like I feel like I said at some point, uh, either during the recording of this show, but at the very least in a conversation with you, that I would not buy cookie butter and bring it into my house because I was convinced that if I did, I would just start eating it and never stop. Okay, and so my question to you is, is cookie butter only this Biscoffy cookie butter, or is there, like, other types? There's other types. So um, okay. cookie butter is, as it turns out, a combination of, you know, cookies and sugar and, yeah, I, And fat. fat. And, more, like, more right, fat. more fat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then think of it like peanut butter, but with cookies instead. It's basically... And, and no nutritional value, as far as I can tell. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, if you want to, you know, get picky, sure. <laughs> okay. Um, Thinking back on Biscoff, I, I think when, when I was telling Stefan about my, uh, you know, objection to cookie butter, what I was thinking of, for those of you who are Trader Joe's shoppers, is they sell cookie butter. And specifically, yeah. I think they sell one called Speculose. So it was, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but that's how I'm going to pronounce it. So Biscoff is a Speculose cookie. Which I was yes. like, great. I've yes. always said I'm not going to do the Trader Joe's. And here I did it. I brought it into my house. This was actually when I made my resolution to read recipes all the way through. Because had I read the um, Totally Biscoff Pie recipe carefully, I would have realized it used the Biscoff cookie butter. Um, 
but you know, all I saw was the Biscoff cookies, and I thought I was safe. Anyway, um, as Stefan said, this company was um, been around since the 1930s. They're a company from Belgium. Um, the Biscoff cookie came to the United States in the 1980s, um, and. It's currently carried at places you might not expect to look for a cookie. So Cost Plus World Market, oh. Bed Bath & Beyond, Walgreens, Rite Aid, um, Target, Safeway, and Kroger. Now, those are more normal uh, grocery places. But I thought that was really interesting when you look at their U.S. distributors. Those are the people who have it. And interesting, too, that I could not find this at our local Kroger's. I know, and I couldn't either, but um, I did find it at Walgreens and Safeway. Yeah, and so. Cost Plus does have a really robust international food section, so that they doesn't do. surprise me. That I should have looked there. Well, I was able to find my cookie butter and my biscuits on Amazon. And, As did I. And mm -hmm. one thing that was nice there is that I bought a two-pack of the cookie butter <laughs> – me too. <laughs> Un unwisely, uh, probably. <laughs> but one was um, chunky and one was creamy. And so I'm going to try the chunky in my filling and the creamy in my topping. Oh, I didn't even yeah. look at them closely to realize. Um, that's good to know. OK, I'll take a look. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I thought was really interesting after I bought this cookie and I tried it and I thought it was the most fabulous thing I'd ever had <laughs> um, is... It suddenly seemed to be popping up everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so um, I looked up the name of that because I couldn't remember what it's called. It's called the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And it's when a concept or thing you just found out about suddenly seems to crop up everywhere. You buy a red car and then all you see is red cars, that kind of a thing, There right? you go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So shortly after um, we ordered ours from Amazon because I couldn't find them, um, I took that plane trip to Nashville. And what was Alaska Airlines serving as their <laughs> little snack but the Biscoff cookies? Right. So they start following you around. I just started laughing. And then we came back to town and and on a Saturday, we were doing a volunteer thing at the food bank, and it was called their Super Sort Saturday. So it's where they get all of the food that was donated over the holidays. And, you know, it's just in all these enormous containers, and you have to sort it out into the appropriate things like rice and pasta and beans. Okay, right. And how many things of Biscoff cookies did I run across? Like dozens. Yeah. yeah. And I just thought, this is so funny. You know, has it just been around all the time and I never noticed it? Or Well, I'm pretty um, sure this whole cookie butter trend passed me by because, time for a true confession, I don't like Trader Joe's. I And yes, a dead silence oh. on the other end of the microphone. <laughs> and I think this was a really big trend at Trader Joe's. I would see people posting or, you know, like, cookie butter's back or we've got cookie butter. And I, I just, I never paid it any attention because I don't shop there. And um, so, I, yeah. Okay. I, we, I, we, I, I yeah. could be like five years behind this trend for all I know. You know, I, I'm going to save the TJ's talk for later because I think <laughs> I think we need to dive into this a little bit more and I'm I'm not prepared. I realize um, we've opened a portal to the dark yeah. side here. So <laughs> you have. Um, the it, I read on the Biscoff website that the cookie butter for them came about in 2011 and that they actually developed it from someone who won the sort of British version of like I think of Shark Tank, you know, where people go on with their oh, idea. Yeah, with their entrepreneurs or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think it was called like Inventors or something like that. And someone used the Biscoff in this spread. And so they, you know, loved that idea and I think got that guy's recipe and started making it. So... Well, um, um, just a word to the wise here before you start making your your pie. And and so essentially this is a cookie crust 
pie crust, and then you're mixing in the Biscoff with cream cheese and whipping cream, and then topping it with a frost, a frosting. How great is it that a pie has a frosting? I've never seen that. <laughs> I know. I know. But word to the wise, um, whatever you do, listeners, don't try dipping mm, pretzels into your creamy or chunky cookie butter because <laughs> you will never stop and you'll be forced to then find a replacement for your for your recipe. I just just you know, just a PSA there. So mm-hmm. that's kind of you to okay. warn our listeners. Mm-hmm. There you yeah. are. Mm-hmm. Well, we will put this recipe up on our website, preheatedpodcast.com. Of course, we'll post it on our Facebook group and our Pinterest sites. And we we really did pick this pie as our first pie because it has that easy cookie crumb crust. Totally. So don't be intimidated if you're thinking to yourself, I don't know how to make a pie crust. This one is just cookie crumbs and butter. You can do it. I'm not worried. Yeah. Um, and just get your hands on some Biscoff and let us know if you are as fascinated by these cookies as Stefan and I are. Yeah, we're really excited. And that's a really nice segue, Andrea. So this month, everyone – because it is National Pie Month, we are going to feature a mini segment every episode called Pie School. And this first episode, we're going to devote to that perfect crust. And as Andrea just mentioned, the Biscoff pie does not have a traditional pastry crust. So we wanted to give you a a little time to hear our tips and techniques for a pastry crust because we will be featuring them later in the month. Um, So in Pie School, we're going to tackle some of your Pressing questions, uh, ingredients, equipment, other gear you might need for for making a pastry crust. One of my bugaboos, which is blind baking, we're going to talk about that. But first up here is the perfect crust. And we've all heard Andrea, um, pie camp graduate and pie lady extraordinaire, um, talk about leaf lard and how she loves to make crust. So um, Andrea, I just want to have some, you know, targeted questions for you here. Um, Your ideal crust contains lard. Yes? It does. Yes. Mm -hmm. And why, what do you find that makes that a superior choice? Um, To answer that question, let me walk you a little bit through my crust evolution. So when we interviewed Craig Weaver, I think that was on episode 11, he mentioned the um, Cook's Illustrated Foolproof Pie Crust. With vodka, yes. With vodka. So he introduced me to that. And for a long time, that is the pie crust that I used. But as it turns out, I am not a person who typically has vodka in my freezer so or in my pantry to throw into my freezer. So I was always having to buy vodka, which, um, you know, and I'm buying a cheap vodka because I'm not going to use like a gray goose in my pie crust. So um, it, it, it just, you know, wasn't ultimately very satisfying for me. So then I went to pie camp. And I learned Kate McDermott's recipe, and um, she has a recipe. It's on her website. I'll include a link to it. But what I loved about her recipe is she focuses on you just need four things for a good pie crust. You need flour, salt, fat, and water. And you can modify within that. So for fat, what she liked best, and I agreed with her, is eight tablespoons of butter and eight tablespoons of leaf lard. Okay. So leaf lard is the fat from around the um, kidney of a pig. I'm sorry. I have to tell you guys that. It is. <laughs> and um, butter provides the flavor, and the lard provides the flakiness. Okay. So that, to me, is the difference between a butter lard 
crust versus an all butter crust. If I'm doing an all butter crust because I know um, maybe the person I'm cooking for just really is not loving the idea of the leaf lard, I'll cut the butter back to 14 tablespoons instead of 16 tablespoons um, because otherwise it kind of bubbles over in my oven and can make a big mess. Got it. Okay. Well, for years I made a pie crust that was a Crisco, half Crisco, half butter. And so that's doing the same thing as your lard. That's just a vegetable shortening. Yep. The Crisco must be having the flaky effect and the butter for the flavor. Yeah. Um, and, you yeah. know, I'm just not a huge Crisco fan. Um, you know, I'm not a total snob and like I never use chemicals. I mean, you know, I do. Um, but for some reason, I just have never really gotten into Crisco. I have, though, had people say to me, you know, that a lot of award-winning pies do use Crisco. And um, in fact, my friend Barb makes a pie, um, some of her pies. I think she uses Crisco. I think they're really good. There is an organic shortening on the market. It's called Spectrum. I don't really know what makes it organic. If it's chemicals, I don't, I'm not, you know, I'm not really sure how that's organic. But, um, you know, that that is a, a fat option if you don't want to go the lard route. Yeah. And so I think, you know, back when we were talking about pie, gosh, this was like November. I think it was Thanksgiving time. And mm-hmm. listener Roxanne on our Facebook page, I had mentioned that I used Crisco and she just said, oh, you know, don't do that. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so, you know how we were talking about um, then you can't stop seeing, uh, you know, like the Biscoff cookie. Um, right. I, my, my, like literally the next day, my friend Lydia came over and she was talking about a new pie crust from Chris Kimball. Now, Chris which is a whole another episode, is not with America's Test Kitchen anymore or, or Cook's Illustrated. He started his own new company called Milk Street Studios, and he had a pie crust that made use of gelatin. It was actually a Japanese (gasps) Japanese technique. And so I ended up making that, and that was incredible. Incredible! Oh my god! I'm gonna post that too. You, um, it's really bizarre, Andrea. It's cornstarch. Maybe it's cornstarch, okay. not gelatin. No, I think I think there's gelatin in there too. It's it's now been a while since I've um, right. made it. But you 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 make up a slurry with the cornstarch and water, and then you freeze okay. it, and then you put it in with the um with the flour. Okay. And then there is some sour cream. I think that's the fat. I do. A friend of mine, I was actually going to talk about her next in terms of my crust evolution, Mary Beth. Um, She does some sour cream in her crust, and I've always liked her crust as well. I think that adds some good flavor. Yeah. So um, shout out to Roxanne for just making me rethink my priorities. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Way back when. Um, so I'm really interested not only to try your leaf lard too, um, Andrea, just to get a really good flaky um, flaky crust, but I'm also – this uh, this one from Chris Kimball is, is just weird enough to, to maybe um, capture my imagination as well. I had not heard of that. I really trust Chris Kimball because of the way they do that extensive um, testing on the recipes. I heard his departure from America's Test Kitchen is just full of drama. So we'll have to save that for another episode. But um, I, I kind of have stopped seeing him because when he left America's Test Kitchen, I, I wasn't following him on Milk Street, but I'm going to have to pick that up again because I do like him and I like his recipes. Yeah. And just a celebrity aside, since last episode, you talked about um, Ashton and, and Mila because we're on a first uh-huh. name basis with the celebs well, yes. right now. Um, uh-huh. My husband's actually met Chris Kimball and um, was, he was, yeah, he was just a really cool guy. And uh, anyway, we won't go too far down that celebrity sighting, but um, they had a big talk about butterball turkeys. So... Um, <laughs> 
Well, I am sure your husband can hang with the best of them you know. uh, when it comes to talking about a butterball. So, oh, that's awesome. Um, so my last thing I wanted to add on pie crust, and this is where I have evolved to today. So I made Kate's pie crust recipe for quite a long time. Um, that's just with the flour, the salt, the leaf lard, the butter, and the ice water. And you add it, you know, tablespoon by tablespoon by tablespoon. For my personality, it's not a good fit. I get easily distracted. I tend to look off in various parts of the room. I forget how much I've put in. Um, it, it just, it wasn't working for me. And my friend Mary Beth, uh, she actually made pies commercially for a while. She worked in a kitchen. So she was cranking out like 18 to 25 of these a day. Yeah. And she gave me her recipe, which I will post. And what she does is, you know, she still has the flour and the salt. Um, she still cuts the butter in. And then she takes an egg and she puts it in a measuring cup then she puts in one teaspoon of white vinegar and then she fills the measuring cup to the half cup point with cold water okay so in total you've got half a cup of liquid there in total you've got a half a cup of liquid and then she makes it in the food processor this is now my go-to pie recipe because i can crank out like you know, you, you never double or triple a pie crust recipe, by the way, FYI. Or, you know, maybe someone does and can tell me the trick. I've never had success with it. So since you're having to make the same recipe, you know, one after the other after the other, I find the food processor to be enormously helpful. And yeah. her recipe with just having that half a cup of liquid that you pour into the food processor as you're pulsing, it turns out every single time. And huge bonus, it does not require chilling your crust. And so you what? Can, yeah. And so what fat does she use? Well, the fat is still the butter. She does okay. butter. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. 14 tablespoons. And I've also used her recipe with my lard butter combos. So, you know, you've still got the flour. You've still got the fat. You've still got the salt. But whereas a lot of times the liquid is just water or it's water and vodka, in this one, it's um, water and egg and vinegar. And I think the egg and the vinegar make it incredibly easy to roll out. So I find Mary Beth's crust recipe to be very forgiving. Um, If you're a new crust maker, you're nervous about crust, you're not sure, you know, if you're doing the add tablespoon of water at a time until it comes together and you're like, I don't, I don't know what that means. Um, Mary Beth's recipe is, is just a little bit easier, I think, for beginner pie crust makers. I love it. And that egg must also just add a really nice richness also. It does. Yeah. And a nice, a nice color and yeah, good flavor. So um, I think it's, it's really great. And the other two things I want to share about crust, uh, when I was at my pie camp reunion in Nashville a couple of weeks ago, Amy was using a bowl scraper that she got from King Arthur Flour. So this was, it was basically like a little rectangular piece of plastic, but it was flexible. Yeah, I've got one. Mm -hmm. Okay. I was looking it up on their website. It cost $2.95. And she uses that to fold her water in instead of using a fork. And I don't know why, but it really made a difference. It. I just found that um, the crust came together much more quickly, and um, it was just kind of a nice way to do it. Inst- also, instead of using your hands, my hands run very hot, and so um, I am not the best with pie crust because my hands will melt the fat, and you don't want the fat to melt. You want okay. everything cold, cold, cold. So using these bowl scrapers is a really great way to mix the water in. The other thing she did, and I remember learning 
part of this at Pie Camp, but I think Amy has um, customized it and made it a bit of her own. Uh, Kate McDermott had taught us when you pull your chilled dough out of the refrigerator and you put it on your counter, you give it a few good whacks with your rolling pin. Okay. You know, yep. Just, yep. just to kind of flatten it and get it ready. And I can't remember what Kate would say as she would whack it. Um, but but <laughs> like what a Amy, mantra. Yes. Her mantra. I'm not kidding. It's a mantra. And so Amy's mantra, and it just cracked me up watching her do this, she would whack the crust and she would say, I am not afraid of you. <laughs> but, and then she would pause and say, bless your heart. <laughs> So cute. So I think the I am not afraid of you may have come from pie camp from Kate. And then Amy, of course, had to add in her little bless your heart. Just, you know, just um, in case the pie crust's feelings were hurt. Exactly. Yeah. So um, I started I started doing that again. Now, I know any, you know, scientific bakers out there are listening to this and thinking, you know, what a bunch of crock. Um, you know, it doesn't change your crust whether you talk to it or not. But it does make a difference. And I think it's because pie crust can be intimidating. And just repeating out loud to yourself, I am not afraid of you, it it, do, it puts you in a different mental space. And I think it's effective. So I encourage you to whack your crust just a few times with your rolling pin. Um, come up with your own mantra. It might be, I am not afraid of you. It might be, bless your heart. A couple of times I would say um, out loud, this isn't brain surgery, it's only pie. You know, That's something right. like that. That's you know? right. Just to put yourself in the in the mental space where you're not intimidated by your crust. And go from there and let us know if it makes a difference. Share your mantra with us on oh, our Facebook group. Can't wait to hear some of those. We would love to hear it. That's awesome. Well, thanks for leading our first um, lesson in pie school. And listeners will be back um, with, with more topics in future episodes. And if you have questions about how to make the perfect crust or um, blind baking or pie weights versus dried beans, we'd love your questions. You can send us an email at host at preheatedpodcast.com or um, post it up on our Facebook group and we will make sure that we cover it. Awesome. Well, the timer's buzzed and we've got to get back to our dishes. Join us next week as we continue our deep dive into all things pie with upside down and rustic pies, tarte tatin, and crustatas. We'll also discuss the perfect rolling pin and rolling surfaces. Our awesome theme music is by Anne-Marie Russell featuring Nathan Eklund on trumpet. You can find Anne-Marie's music on Amazon and iTunes or at annemarierussell.com. And remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, on Facebook and Pinterest, or download us on iTunes. While you're there, we'd love it if you subscribed to the show and gave us a review, both of which will help other people find us. Until next time, thanks for listening and sweet dreams.
Preheated is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stephen Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.